Good morning. The reading is taken from John chapter 9, and I hope you're sitting comfortably. As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. After saying this, he spat on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means scent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, Isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, No, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. How then were your eyes open, they asked. He replied, The man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed, and then I could see. Where is this man, they asked him. I don't know, he said. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. Now the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. Therefore the Pharisees had also asked him how he had received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others asked, How can a sinner perform such signs? So they were divided. Then they turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. The man replied, He is a prophet. They still did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. Is this your son, they asked? Is this the one you say was born blind? How is it now that he can see? We know he is our son, the parents answered, and we know he was born blind. But how he can see now, or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who already had decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. That's why his parents said, He is of age. Ask him. A second time, they summoned the man who had been blind. Give glory to God by telling the truth, they said. We know this man is a sinner. He replied, whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. Then they asked him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered, I have told you already. And you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? 
Then they hurled insults at him and said, You are this fellow's disciple. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses. But as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. The man answered, Now that is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly person who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. To this they replied, you were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out. And when he found him, he said, do you believe in the son of man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, you have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. Jesus said, for judgment I have come into this world so that the blind will see and those that will see will become blind. Some Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and asked him, What? Are we blind too? Jesus said, If you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now you claim you can see. Your guilt remains. This is the word of the Lord. John for reading. Let's get myself set up. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for encounters with you. Jesus, we thank you for encounters with you in John's gospel. Thank you that you're encountered by us. And we pray that we would meet you now as we explore this passage together. Thank you that as we just sang, there is hope in the power of the cross. As we ponder this extraordinary encounter, we pray that that hope, the power of the cross would, uh, would grow within us and we would see you more clearly. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Great. Well, um, obviously we've had the interview earlier. My name's Andy. I'm really excited to be joining you here at St. Paul's as Kiris, along with Holly, my wife. Um, yes, and we've just arrived, uh, come from Oxford, worshipping at St. Aldate's, and we're really excited for this, for such a time as this, this new season, um, to be with you and seek the Lord together with you. Now, we are in uh, the midst of a preaching series here at St. Paul's, Encounters with Jesus in John's Gospel. And today, as we just heard, um, we are looking at John chapter 9, the man born blind. So do keep or open your Bible or your app to the passage. If you're on the sofa at home, do go and get the Bible off the shelf. We'll still be here when you get back. And that'll just let you track along uh, with this story. 
Do you ever find yourself looking at something, perhaps something in the garden or someone's face in the crowd or a painting or a landscape, and you suddenly realize it's not at all what you thought you were looking at, it's something else. You know, that stranger's face is actually someone you know, and that brings connections and things you know about that person, things you have in common. Um, that the picture is actually something else entirely. It's not that what you were looking at has changed, but your perception, your understanding has kind of caught up, as it were, with reality. Now, Holly and I love hill walking and scrambling, and the Lake District is probably my favorite place in the whole uh, planet Earth. And I often have this experience when climbing up a mountain um, that your perception just changes as you go on the journey. And what might seem at the start, at the bottom of the hill, you know, you might look up and see this really impressive ridge. But actually, by the time you've got up to the summit and you survey the landscape, you, notice, you think, actually, it's just a ripple in the surrounding geography. And I want to suggest that these kind of moments of clarity strike a real chord with our reading this morning, in which someone who was blind from birth he'd never been able to see, not only receives his sight, but he also recognizes Jesus, has that moment of clarity and recognizes the Son of God for who he really is. And that changes everything. And so our passage this morning is all about seeing. And it tells us, in a sense, it's possible to see without actually seeing physically. And it's also equally possible to see physically but not really see what's going on at all. Everyone in the crowded streets of Jerusalem in our passage seems to see and yet miss the point. You have the disciples, they misjudge the man's past. They ask, who sinned? You've got his neighbors, you know, they can't work out if it's the same guy or not. Does it look like him? Is it him? Is it not? You've got the man's parents saying, oh, don't ask us, don't involve us. And the Pharisees who write both Jesus and the man off as sinners. And completely missed the point. And in the midst of all this kind of melee is Jesus, the light of the world. In verse 5, you know, he says, while I am in the world, I am the light of the world. He's the one who illuminates and makes possible that moment of clarity at the end of the passage when the healed man finally lays eyes on Jesus and he worships him. And really what this talk is all about is really just an invitation to look at Jesus for the first time or afresh after a long time and just like the blind man to know him more fully even as he looks back and knows us. So the title I've given this talk is Who Do You See That I Am? Who do you see that I am? Whereas in all three other gospels in the New Testament Jesus asks his followers who do you say that I am? John actually doesn't include that episode in his gospel because he's much more interested in how people see Jesus as they encounter him. For John, seeing is believing. Vision is really important when it comes to faith in Jesus because Jesus makes God visible. And John majors on seven signs of Jesus in his gospel. Now, your Bible might translate them as miracles, and, and that's true. But the word John uses in the Greek is sign, something that signifies. 
And most of these seven signs actually have been touched on um, in our series, looking at encounters with Jesus in John. Because each miracle is a transforming encounter with Jesus. And in each case, the miracle is a sign. It points, it indicates Jesus' identity as the Son of God and of the redeeming, healing nature of his work in the world. And actually, in the following chapter to our one today, in, in John chapter 10, verses 37, 38, Jesus actually says this. He says, don't believe me unless I do the works of my Father. But if I do them, even though you don't believe me, believe the works that you might know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. Whenever Jesus does something in John's gospel, it reveals something about his nature as the divine son of God and savior of the world. And John believed that seeing is believing so much that he wrote down his testimony about Jesus in this book, that we too might see Jesus, encounter him, and know the Father's love for ourselves. So the first thing I just want to touch on in this passage is that the blind see. And when Jesus looks at this man, blind from birth, he doesn't see punishment, but he sees potential. Not punishment, but potential. And his disciples, you know, perhaps they're feeling pretty confident. They've spent a good while with Jesus now, eager to flex their theological know-how. They ask him, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Clearly there was something, something this guy has done was so bad that God decided to punish him ahead of his life by taking away his sight. They mistakenly think that when God sees this guy, he's full of bitterness and disappointment. But actually Jesus completely rejects that way of thinking. He says, neither this man nor his parents sinned this happened that the works of God might be displayed in him, the potential rather than the punishment. And in God's view, our sufferings in this life are always, first and foremost, full of potential for encountering and seeing God. The Lord sees you and delights in the potential for you, for me, to have a deeper relationship with him and to see him more clearly. And Jesus takes the initiative. Right at the beginning of the reading, verse 1, it says, he saw the man as he was passing by. Not his disciples didn't see the man, not the whole group, but as Jesus passed by, he saw him. Even before the disciples come out with their ridiculous and mistaken judgment, Jesus saw this blind man. He saw that he was relegated to begging because of his lifelong blindness. And he saw the potential for the works of the Father within him. And Jesus does this not only by healing his physical blindness, but as we'll see at the end of the passage, also his spiritual perception of who Jesus is. And he takes the initiative by seeking this man out on two occasions. Neither time is in response to a request. You know, often Jesus asks people what they wanted before healing them. But Jesus just goes straight in here, makes the mud anoints the man's eyes and sends him off to wash in the pool of Siloam. And Jesus is the same today. He takes the initiative. He sees us. He comes near to us. He encounters us as we worship, as we pray, as we read the scripture, so that we might see him more clearly. 
Now, this causes quite a stir, doesn't it? The man comes back from the pool, having been healed. You know, some can't even believe it's the same person. And even the Pharisees get involved, and they've got this whole comedic kind of back and forth of everyone kind of weighing in, trying to work out what's going on. By which time, of course, Jesus is long gone. He's moved on. And uh, here, the, the, the light of the world, bringing perception, is, has moved on from the scene. Crucially, however... The man's been healed, but he hasn't actually seen Jesus with his own eyes yet. Jesus didn't go with him to the pool, and he's disappeared by the time the man gets back. And because of this, when asked who Jesus is, the man says, a prophet, verse 17. He hasn't fully got it yet. He's received his physical sight, but he's not yet kind of had that moment of clarity with respect to Jesus. And it's only when we come to the end of the passage that he goes from marveling at a prophet to worshipping the Son of God. So the second thing to draw out is this. The seeing are blind. The blind see and the seeing are blind. When the Pharisees look at the healed blind man, unlike Jesus, they don't see potential, but they, they see punishment. Jesus saw potential over punishment, The Pharisees, the religious authorities, see punishment over potential. And that, of course, comes to a head in verse 34. After the healed man has spoken up for Jesus, the Pharisees say, You were steeped in sin at your birth. How dare you lecture us? You are a sinner. It is, you were blind from birth because you sinned. And they heap yet more punishment on him. When it says they cast him out, that is, they they were expelling him from the synagogue, from the religious community. Gaining his sight should have enabled this man to to re-engage with community after um, having to beg on the streets. But instead, no no sooner as he received his sight, then he is turfed out of community once again. See, the the Pharisees in this passage, physically they see perfectly, but spiritually they're totally blind with respect to Jesus. And firstly, they, they don't recognize the man, they don't believe his story. You know, they get his parents in. They interrogate him twice, and they still don't believe him. And secondly, and more crucially, they don't recognize Jesus. Verse 29, they say, We know that God spoke to Moses, but that's for this fellow. They don't even use Jesus' name. We don't even know where he comes from. They're so preoccupied with the Old Testament figure of Moses, who spoke with God face to face that they don't recognize God in the flesh when he's before them himself who just previously in the last chapter in chapter 8 had said before Abraham was I am now of course Abraham predates Moses and Jesus predates even Abraham but tragically he's not recognized by the Pharisees here they don't have a moment of clarity even though they are looking at him even though they see him And their devotion and loyalty to Moses, who knew God so deeply and was used so powerfully in the Old Testament, actually meant that their vision of Jesus was skewed and blocked, and they couldn't figure out what they were looking at. The healed man, however, is then, he's approached by Jesus, isn't he, at the end of the passage, and now he sees Jesus properly for the first time. Now before, Jesus had gone by the time he got back from his healing at the pool, 
And he wasn't sure what had gone on, what, what Jesus' identity was. But now, Jesus gently leads him to see that he's much more than a prophet. He is God's son. Verses 37, 38, Jesus says to him, you've seen him. He's the one speaking to you. And at that point, the man says, Lord, I believe, and worships him. So on their first meeting, Jesus gave him his physical sight. On their second meeting, gives the man the spiritual sight of Jesus' true identity as the Son of God. And the rationale for all this from Jesus comes in verse 39. For judgment I've come into this world, so the blind will see, and those who see will become blind. Jesus is saying that now that he's come, God is visible. And that means that Jesus is the criterion on which true sight turns. Ever since he, the light of the world, has come, he becomes the basis on which people truly see or not. And that's why the Pharisees in this encounter are, are called blind. Especially so, according to Jesus, because they say, we're not blind, are we? We can see. But they don't recognize the big picture. So the vision Jesus offered the man in John 9, to truly recognize him as Lord and God, this is the moment of clarity that Jesus invites us into. Now last week, um, uh, well about this time I was getting ordained, but just before that uh, they take you away for a few days on retreat. And so I was away on retreat with a few other new curates in the Coventry area. And um, I came across a song called Life in Colour. Uh, by a Christian worship band called the One Hope Project. And it really resonated with me and with this passage. And the repeated refrain of this song is, life with you is life in color. Such a brilliant way of expressing that moment of clarity which Jesus offers us. And in one of the verses to the song, they sing, you've brought my vision into focus. You've cleared the way so I can be forever walking in your presence. I was blind, now I see. And this was the experience of our blind man in John 9 that can be ours today too. And for me, it was on my bed uh, in Ivory Coast in West Africa, aged eight, uh, in the, the mission school that my parents were working in. And I, I first began to see life in color with Jesus. Um, as I mentioned earlier, my parents had felt the Lord calling us as a family overseas, to overseas mission, and um, to living at this school uh, in rural Ivory Coast. And one evening, um, a visiting missionary had come for the week, and he just shared the gospel with us, with the, with the children. Um, you know, just very simply, that God loves each and every one of us, that he, uh, he came in his son and died for us, for our sins. Um, and that he makes a way for us to, by that he makes a way for us to live the life that we were made for with God. Um, and I just recognized Jesus in a way that I hadn't before. Uh, and I wanted in. Uh, and I, I just remember praying a very simple prayer on my bed that night. Jesus, I love you. I, I want to follow you. And these moments of clarity, they're not a one-off in the Christian life. But they're a regular part of walking with Jesus. It's not one and done with God. He's always got more of himself to share with us. 
The way of following Jesus is one of seeing him more and more in the highs and in the lows. In times of dryness and disconnection as we have been in, all of us, for the last year and a half. Still meeting and seeing Jesus more and more. As St. Paul says elsewhere in the Bible, now we see dimly, but in glory we'll see him face to face. And even though we can't see Jesus in the same way that uh, the blind man did, we do see Jesus in the Gospels. And this is exactly why John wrote down this story for us. At the end of his Gospel, John writes in, in chapter 20, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. John's gospel is a portrait of Jesus so that we too might see him and encounter him, just as those people did who we've been considering over the last few weeks here at St. Paul's. And if you want to see Jesus more, reading John's gospel is a great place to start, especially if you haven't read it before uh, or, or not for a while. It takes about maybe two hours if you sit down and read it in one sitting. That's about the time for a, for a good movie. And uh, there's plenty of twists and turns uh, for you to experience during that time as you read. And especially it's a great time seeing as we had just been exploring uh, the Gospel of John, not only in the morning, but also the evening service here at St. Paul's. Um, so like the man born blind who had this life-changing encounter with Jesus, as we close, I just want to encourage us, let's open our eyes to see Jesus more and more. Let's seek him more and more. Let's turn to face him, remembering that our faith revolves around the person of Jesus. No one and nothing else comes before him. To see him truly is to see life truly in color. And so may we, with the blind man of John 9, daily grow in seeing, believing, and worshiping the Lord Jesus. And just before I finish, I wanted to say, maybe you don't feel like you quite see Jesus clearly right now. Maybe that's where you're at. Perhaps you resonate with the Pharisees, you know, that the vision is kind of skewed or feels blocked by something. If this is you, you know, we would love to pray with you. Um, please do get in touch with our prayer ministry team. They're on Zoom after the service, or you can get in touch uh, with us at the church, and we would love to connect and pray with you. So let's pray, and I don't know if you would like to stand, those of us in uh, the church building, as we pray. So we pray, Lord, come Holy Spirit. Help us to see Jesus more. Baptize our imaginations, we ask, that we would see him more and more, that we would encounter the Lord for the first time or for the millionth time. Give us that moment of clarity to see you better today, we ask. In the name of Jesus, amen.